Listen to this, husbands. Everybody else you can listen to. A husband waits patiently. A husband shows kindness. A husband does not burn with envy, does not brag, is not inflated with his own importance. A husband's love does not behave with ill-mannered impropriety, is not preoccupied with the interests of the self, does not become exasperated into displeasure, does not keep a reckoning of evil. A husband's love does not take pleasure at wrongdoing, but joyfully celebrates the truth. A husband never tires of support, never loses faith, never exhausts hope, never gives This is the 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 version of a husband's love. Husbands, if you want to know what it means to love your wife beyond what we've been looking at in the book of Ephesians, turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 and recognize those actions there are to describe your love for your wife. These verses, in a way, tell us what it means to obey the command, husbands, to love your wives. The husband has a responsibility to his wife. And that responsibility, first and foremost, is not to lead her, not to guide her, not to direct her, but to love her. And so once again, husbands, we come to you and we talk to you. Uh, This is the final time that the message will be directed to you in particular. Uh, We will come back to Ephesians 5 again one more time next Sunday, next Lord's Day. But for today, we want to talk to the husbands. Don't anybody get under your seat. Don't. Everything is good. Do what I should have done, and that is turn off your phone. I had my phone on just in case there was an emergency earlier. So sorry about that. Husbands, you got a little relief before I pound on you. Uh, A few more. Let the scriptures speak to your heart. But husbands, God is calling on you and giving you the command to love your wife. And as I've mentioned before, marriage like Humpty Dumpty, has had a great fall. And the only way that marriage can be restored to its rightful place is that the husband and the wife have to fulfill their responsibilities in the marriage relationship. And so we've looked at the responsibility of the wife, and now today we continue to look at the responsibility of the husband. The husband is to love his wife, just like Christ loved the church. And as we see today, the husband is to love his wife just like he loves himself. 
So this is the final message. This is the final thing that God's word says in this important passage about Christian marriage in the role of the husband. And husband, please understand, you do have a significant role in your marriage. God gives you a responsibility for leadership, but that leadership is not so much to lead in the marriage, but to love when it comes to the marriage. And so we've seen thus far that the husband is commanded to love his wife. We've seen also that the husband is counseled to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Husbands, if you want a model, if you want an example of what it means to love your wife, look no further than Christ's love for the church. And when we look at that love of Christ for the church, we see that that love was sacrificial and that love was intentional. It had goals, it had purposes. But today we come to the last piece of counsel that Paul has for these Christians Husbands at Ephesus. And his counsel is, husbands, love your wife like you love yourself. Love your wife like you love yourself. That's the counsel that Paul says when it comes to loving your wife. Yes, love her like Christ loved the church, but love her also like you love yourself. And when you look at verse 28 all the way to the first part of verse 33, Paul bookends that passage by stressing that the husband is to love his wife as he loves himself. Look at verse 28, the first part of verse 28. Paul says, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. The husband ought to do that. He has an obligation. He has a responsibility. And then Paul says in verse 33, Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his own wife even as himself. So so you can't miss it. Love your wife as you love your own body. Love your wife as you love yourself. And Paul says, you have a responsibility, husbands. It is your obligation that is put upon you. He doesn't use a command in verse 28. He uses an obligation, a moral obligation, a must. This is what you should be. This is what you must be. This is what you ought to do. And what you ought to do is love your wife, yes, but love your wife like you love your own body. And when you come to verse 33, it's a command. Uh, We read the word let each one, but it's really each one must. Each husband must love his wife. How? Like he loves himself. Like he loves himself. So what I want us to do is look uh, at these verses and, and see what we learn about a husband's love. And the first thing that I want us to see is that his love, a husband's love, is to be a natural love. It should be an automatic love. The husband should love his wife automatically, just like he loves his own body. Paul says at the end of verse 28, 
he who loves his own wife loves himself. That's a declaration. That is a statement that Paul doesn't feel like he needs to go into the detail. But he says, if you love your wife, what is true of that husband, what can be said of that husband, is that the husband who loves his wife, he loves himself. And what he's stressing and what he's pointing out is, yes, we have this obligation to love the wife as ourselves, but when we do it, when we practice it, when we live it day in and day out, then what we see is that it has become natural to us. It has become a part of us. So husband, your love for your wife is not to be something that is forced. It's not to be something that you do grudgingly. It should really come to the point where you love your wife automatically. No one has to come along and say to a man, love yourself. You don't have to say that. That's the norm. Men love themselves. And may I add, women love themselves also. Men, I know you love yourself because I can look at you. All of you are looking sharp. You're looking clean. You're dressed properly, et cetera, et cetera. Most of you are shaven. Either your chin or your head or something. We love ourselves. And Paul's point is not, oh, we need to get husbands to love themselves. No, Paul says we need to get husbands to love their wives like they love themselves. It is natural. It is automatic. It is routine for a husband to love himself. Even if he's tired, even if he's worn out, even if, if he's weary, the husband, day in and day out, gets in front of a mirror because he loves himself, because he's concerned about himself, and he looks at himself and does various things so that he can be, quote, presentable. He puts on the right clothes, etc., because he loves himself. No, that's the nature of a husband, and really that's true of everyone. It's natural for a husband and really everyone to love oneself. But what Paul is calling for and what he wants from husbands, he's saying, I want you to naturally love your wife. I want you to treat your wife just like you treat your body. And just like each and every day there's a concern about your body, there ought to be naturally a concern about your mate. Now, I realize in last Sunday's sermon I said that loving one's wife is unnatural. It is. And that's why we have to be commanded to love our wife. But once we obey that command, once we decide on practicing that command, once we say to ourselves, I'm as a Christian husband, I'm going to love my wife. We need to get to the point where our love for our wife is natural, it's automatic, it's routine, it's second nature. No sermon, no friend, no individual needs should 
have to come alongside of you and say, love your wife. As a Christian husband, you should be walking and practicing and living day in and day out so that what you are thinking about all the time in your relationship with your wife is that you want to love her and love her like it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And so, husbands, I ask you, do you have a natural love for your wife? I know you have a natural love for your body, for your flesh, for yourself. But the question on the table is, do you have a natural and automatic and routine love for your wife? Does it come as second nature for you? to sacrificially love her and to intentionally love her? Does it come as a routine that you don't have to be prodded, you don't have to be goaded, you are committed to loving your wife just as committed to loving her as you love yourself? A husband's love for his wife is to be a natural love, a routine love, an automatic love. But the other thing that I want us to see with regard to a husband's love for his wife is that his love is to be a caring love. A caring love is to be an affectionate and a tender love. Not harsh, not rude, not violating the things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verses 4 through 7. Not impatient, not exasperated, etc. But a caring, tender, affectionate love for his wife. Paul made the statement that the one who loves his wife loves himself. And in verse 29, he explains that. And he explains it by basically giving a contrast to how a person doesn't treat his body and to how a person does treat his body. Look at verse 29. Paul says, no one, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. I hope the contrast has hit you between your eyes, husbands. On the one hand, no one ever hates his own flesh, his own body. Paul is giving a truism. He's giving something that is a known fact, a reality. Are there exceptions? Yes. But those exceptions are abnormal. When you find someone who doesn't love his own flesh, who doesn't love his own body, you say that's abnormal. You say something is wrong with that person. The normal person, as Paul says, doesn't hate his own flesh. The person does not get up 
and say, I hate my flesh. I detest my flesh. Now, there might be some things you don't like about your looks, etc., etc., but you don't hate your flesh. You don't detest your flesh. No one, Paul says, does that. But in an about face, he'll tell you what you do do. You don't hate your body, but he says what you do do is that you nourish it and you cherish it. Think about that contrast. On the one hand, no one hates his own flesh, but on the other hand, you nourish and you cherish your flesh. Those twin activities, nourishes and cherishes, are the exact opposite of hating your flesh. The person who hates his flesh does not nourishes and cherish it. The person who nourishes and cherishes his flesh doesn't hate it. And the idea of this word nourish means to kind of grow up or bring up. It's only really used two times, and both times in Ephesians, Paul is going to say to the fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And then he said, but bring them up. That is, nourish them. Bring them up. Nurture them. In what? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the idea of this nourish is to bring up. No, it's the idea that you're going to rear up. You're going to nourish. And then Paul couples that with another term. And that term is cherish. Originally, this word meant to warm. Something that had heat and it would warm another person. But it came to mean the idea of to foster, to comfort, to cherish. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.7 when he thinks about his relationship to the Christians at Thessalonica, uses both of these words in different forms, but he says to the Thessalonians, when I was among you, I was gentle. And he compares himself basically to a mother. He says, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Think about that picture, a nursing mother. Even yesterday when we were in Santa Barbara and walking down one of the main streets, I saw a mother nursing her baby. She wasn't running. She wasn't jogging. No, she wasn't doing flip. Tenderly holding her baby and nursing her baby. And and Paul is saying, Thessalonians, when I was in your midst, I, I was gentle. There was a motherly side to me. I was gentle. I was like a nursing mother, one who tenderly cares for her own children, cherishes her children. And so Paul is pointing out to the Christian husband, no one hates his own flesh. But what is true is that You nourish and you cherish your flesh, your body. And he goes on to say in the last part of verse 29 that the idea of nourishing and cherishing can be compared to how Christ 
nourishes and cherishes the church. So it doesn't really surprise us that as Paul talks about marriage, he brings in Christ and the church. But now he brings in Christ and the church to remind us that Christ nourishes the church. That Christ cherishes the church. And he's saying, husbands, when you come to your own body, you don't hate it. You nourish it. You cherish it. And the implication is you are to do that with regards to your wife. You are to nourish her. You are to cherish her just like Christ cherishes the church. And the reason why Christ cherishes the church is because we are members of his body. I don't want to be prolonged on this idea of Christ and the church, but Paul says, you individual Christian, you Ephesians, and even me, the apostle, we are members of the body of Christ. That is a profound truth. That is a wonderful truth. And Paul is saying the reason why Christ nourishes us, the reason why Christ cherishes us, and not just because we're out there, it's because we are members. We are part of his body. Paul was a part of the body of Christ. The Ephesians were a part of the body of Christ. Every Christian who has repented of his sin or her sin and put her faith or his faith in Christ is a part of the body of Christ. At the moment of salvation, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we are placed, we are baptized into the body of Christ. We're members of his body. And because we are a part of Christ, guess what? He nourishes us and he cherishes us. But the point that Paul is making, he's not concerned about husbands nourishing and cherishing their body. He knows they do that. You know as a husband you do that. He's not concerned about Christ nourishing and cherishing the church. That's a known fact. But the question is, husbands, do you love your wives in this way? Do you love your wife in that way? In the manner of nourishing and cherishing her? Or simply put, caring for her? Husband. Do you care for your wife? In your care for your wife, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Does your care for your wife look like Christ's care for the church? And even your care for your own self. When it comes to loving your wife, husband, put yourself in her place. If you were in her place, what would you want? What would you desire? What would you do? Because day in and day out, that's how you operate. As you look at yourself, you get in the mirror, you do certain things. Uh, when you're hungry, et cetera, you do something. You care about yourself. You know your needs, et cetera. But, but, but Paul is saying, husbands, you have to do that for your wife. You have to love her to the extent that you are caring for her, that you are nursing her. 
growing her up, maturing her, that you are cherishing and nursing her. You, you, you have a fond affection and a love for her. So that's how the husband is to love his wife. His love is to be a caring love. Husbands, have you ever been accused by your wife of caring too much? She knows you care for your body. She knows you care for your clothes, care for your car, care for all these other things. But does she know that you care for her? Can she look at your actions and say, here is my husband? Even though I'm not worthy of it, even though I'm not deserving of it, it is clear beyond a shadow of a doubt. He cares for me. When he sees me worn out and tired and ragged from all of the things that I'm trying to do, does he care? Or does he just simply say, woman, you need to get some rest? (laughs) You're not supposed to laugh at that, honey. Does he care? And so Paul is saying, that a husband's love for his wife is a caring love. So there's an integral relationship between a man and his body. Paul has brought that out. There's an integral relationship between Christ and the church. Paul has brought that out. He said, we are members of his body. But the other thing that Paul highlights is that there's an integral relationship between a husband and a wife. Not just between a man and his body and Christ and the church, between a husband and his wife. There's an integral relationship. And that's what Paul kind of unfolds in verses 31 and 32. And as we, as he does that, we learn that a husband's love is to be an intimate love. The husband's love for his wife is to be an intimate, deep, personal, close love for his wife. In verse 31, Paul quotes a verse that is familiar. If you've been to a Christian wedding, you probably have heard This verse, Genesis 2, 24, Moses wrote it. Paul cites it, and Jesus Christ even quotes it. So this Genesis 2, 24 is an important verse in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's a valuable verse when it comes to the marriage relationship. Paul writes in verse 31, For this cause... A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You can't talk about Christian marriage without referencing this verse. Christian marriage involves a leaving, a cleaving, and a weaving. The the man is told and commanded to leave his father and mother. This doesn't mean he abandons his parents. doesn't mean that he forgets about his parents. 
but it prioritizes the relationship between the husband and wife over the relationship between a husband and his parents or a wife and her parents. The husband-wife relationship is more important and more critical and more significant and has priority over the relationship between a husband or, or, or wife with his or her parents. So the man is to leave. Not forget, because we do recognize that Scripture says, honor your, your, your father and mother. But he's to leave. He's to separate. He's to establish a new relationship, a new home. And he is to cleave, not to wives, but he's to cleave to his wife. And if you've been paying attention to what Paul has written in these verses, he's been personalizing, he's saying one's own wife, one's own body. And here, the, the husband, the man is to leave his father and mother and cleave like glue, be welded together to his wife. And the result of the leaving and the cleaving is a weaving. The two become one. That's marriage. When we get married, it's a oneness. The two become one. Yes, there's still a husband, there's still a wife, but the two have become one flesh. They are so integrally related that they're no longer seen as two, but one. And that's why when we have wedding ceremonies, What do we have? We have the candle lighting ceremony where the two who are getting married take their candle and light a candle in the middle, speaking of unity. And what else do we have? We have that sandal, the sand ceremony, where you take two containers of sand, pour it into one container, representing the oneness if you think about marriage, it is a one flesh relationship. Jesus iterated that and even said that's why divorce is not something that is to be done. Because he says that when you divorce, you have taken what God has brought together and torn it asunder. You have taken one body, one flesh, and literally ripped it apart. So it's going to be painful. It's going to be hurtful. There's going to be devastating consequences. But here, Paul brings up Genesis 2.24 so that we might know that the husband and wife have become one flesh. They are intimately related. The two have become one. And Paul concludes by saying in verse 32, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. He's caused us to zero in on Genesis 2.24 that speaks of the marriage relationship, how there's to be a leaving and a cleaving and a weaving. But then he shocks us in verse 32. He said, this mystery is great. But he says, the mystery that I'm talking about It's not the marriage between a husband and a wife. The mystery that I'm talking about is the relationship between Christ and the church. 
In the Bible, mystery is something that was hidden but now made known. You read Genesis 2.24. If that's the only book of the Bible that you read, you read Genesis 2.24, and it talks about the marriage relationship. You come to the New Testament, and Paul tells us, hey, Genesis 2.24 is more than just about the marriage relationship. It's about the marriage between Christ and the church. And he said that's a great mystery that God uses human marriage to be a portrayal, a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. But again, don't get lost in the story within the story. Paul brings up this marvelous truth of Genesis 2.24 and applies it to Jesus Christ. But he wants husbands to know that you are one flesh with your wife. And he's calling on the husband to love his wife intimately. To love his wife with a one flesh love. And he's just reiterating what he said. Love your wife as you love your own body. Love your wife as you love yourself. And now love your wife because you are one flesh with her. When you get married as a husband, your wife and you become one flesh. Yes, there's distinctions between you, but you're one flesh. In that one flesh relationship, first and foremost, manifests itself in a sexual relationship, according to 1 Corinthians 6.16. Paul even says that if you are involved in premarital sex, or if you're involved in what we call fornication, or in a mar- in sexual relationship outside of marriage, that you have become one with that person. You become one flesh. That lets us know that the ultimate expression of the relationship between the one flesh relationship of a husband and wife is the sexual relationship. But one flesh means more than just that. It means emotionally one flesh, spiritually one flesh. Husbands, are you one flesh with your wife spiritually? Can both of you sing from the depths of your soul, I give myself away? Or is it just one partner who can sing that? Can both of you say, I love the Lord? Can, can both of you say, I love his word, I love his ways, and I want to serve him? This one flesh relationship, yet, yes, it shows itself in the bedroom but it also shows itself when it comes to church and serving the Lord and living the Christian life. And so Paul is saying, husbands, it's your responsibility, it's your obligation to love your wife with an intimate, deep, personal, close, profound love. Because you and your wife are one. The two have become one. 
Marriage is to be held in honor among all. According to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. And if that is going to happen, if marriage is going to be on a pedestal where it belongs, if that is going to happen, then the husband is going to have to fulfill his role in redeeming marriage. And what is the role of the husband? The husband is commanded to love his wife. That's an unusual command. It's a difficult command. It's an unnatural command. And the list goes on. But that's the command. Husband, you are given the responsibility by God. Not by a pastor, not by a deacon, not by some person in the church, but by God. He says to you, husband, love your wives. And the counsel that is given to husbands, love your wife, just as Christ loved the church. Husband, learn about that intimate relationship between Christ and the church. Learn about how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And you model that and love your wife in that way. Love her sacrificially. Lay down your life for her. Put her priorities as seen from God above your own. I've heard the testimony of a couple of professors who left their teaching profession, teaching in a seminary, and they left their teaching profession. Why? Because where they were teaching at, the location of the weather, et cetera, was detrimental to the wife. And so they chose to move from one location to another location. And husband, that's what we're called to do. We're to love our wife like we love ourselves. If I found out that a particular area of the city is bad for me physically, am I not going to choose to go somewhere else? Well, if you love your wife, you'll do the same thing. Put your wife in her place and love her like you love yourself. And that means you are to love her with a natural love that you are to love her with a caring love. You're nurturing her, and you're cherishing her. She's dear, she's precious, she's special to you, and you love her with an intimate love, recognizing that the two of you are not separate entities, but the two of you are one flesh, the two have become one. So husbands, may God grant you grace. Grant me grace to obey the command to love our wives. May God enable us to, to, to listen to the counsel, the, the counsel to love your wife like Christ loved the church, to listen to the counsel, to love your wife like you love yourself. May God grant us enablement to listen to that counsel and to follow that counsel. That, husband, is your role when it comes to redeeming marriage. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you.
and thank you that your word is so clear and so direct in giving us our responsibilities in the marriage relationship. Thank you that it addresses wives and thank you that it addresses husbands. And Lord, we pray for the wives in this church that they will fulfill their roles of redeeming marriage by submitting to their husbands in respecting him. And Lord, I pray for the husbands. Pray that you will help us to man up, that you will help us to be courageous, that you will help us to act like men and respond to the command that you have given us to love our wife. And may we do that just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. May we do that just like we love ourselves. May our love for our wife become so second nature that it's natural, that it's automatic, that it's routine, that we are seeking her best possible good. And may we love our wife, Father, in a caring way, in an affectionate and devotional way. May we be devoted to her and committed to her and seeking to have her be, Father, all that you would want her to be. And Father, thank you for our marriages here at Fairview. Thank you that they are the expression of a one flesh relationship. Help husbands to love their wife, realizing that they have an intimate, integral relationship with their wife that they are no longer two, but they are one. Grant us grace. Grant us the ability to keep marriage on the pedestal where it belongs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.